0: All right, take out your Bibles. Continuation of Juan. Or Juan. I'm just kidding. It's not John. Okay, continuation of one. You Did you not get a Bible out of there? Oh, you got a Bible out of there. Okay, take out your Bibles. Turn to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. You don't have a Bible? You don't have a Bible? Wow, didn't bring a Bible. Didn't bring a Bible. Most of you probably have Bible apps on your phone anyway, don't you? Oh, thank you, Daniel. Okay, take out your Bible. What happens in 1 Samuel 17? David and Goliath. Very good. Shh. I've talked about um, in reading your Bible or walking with God. When you read your Bible, shh, the Bible is a living book. And uh, it would be an interesting challenge maybe for the month of March to sit down every day and ask God to give you something new Give you something new abigail Abigail inside voice okay Shh. now um, okay now it'd be an interesting thing if you took thirty one days straight thirty one days straight and read the just the story of David and Goliath, you think we 've heard that story hundreds of times we could st- we could tell it over and over and over. But the, because the Bible is a living book, you can get something new from it each and every time, and that's why tonight, like I said, turn to First Samuel 17 and asking what's there, and think, "Oh, here we go, another story on David and Goliath." But once it's going to be kind of a different twist on it. Last week I already mentioned we talked about uh, one shot, and uh, we only have one shot at this life, and I told you stories about teenagers that, uh, not necessarily that I knew personally, but teenagers, the uh, the amount of teenagers that have died in the year 2020, 19,000 of them. Okay. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, the Bible says. So what are you going to do with the shot you're given? The time you have here on this earth, the, the, uh, whatever that is, what are you going to do with it? And are talking about the fact that we, uh, unfortunately we live for ourselves and we chase our dreams and there's nothing wrong with having dreams and goals and aspirations. Um, but is that what God has for you? Um, Brother uh, Gorley in chapel this morning was talking about the fact that uh, sometimes or the, the, the things you have to give up. And we do have to give some things up, but God wants us to yield it. God may give your dream right back to you. God, you know what? I'm, I'm good at this or I have, I have a very good mind or this and this and this is what I want to do with my life. But whatever you want. And God say, okay, good. Now that you've yielded to me here and you just continue on that track. But God may completely change that track. And I've told you before, if you're not willing to let God change that track, I don't believe biblically your heart can be right with God. Because God says we should have a yielded heart. And a yielded heart says, you know what, God, this is what I want. Just like Jesus did when he went to the cross. Jesus said, you know what, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But, or he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. But God, I've dreamed about doing this. Nevertheless, whatever you want. And that's where each and, of, each and every one of us are. We have to make that choice. I knew from the time I was in fourth grade that I would serve God full time. I didn't know what that meant. I mean, I knew what it meant to serve God full time, but I didn't know if it was going to be a pastor or a missionary or this or that. I didn't know. That was in fourth grade. From there, then obviously God worked in different ways, and I don't know—I don't know that I've even ever told you guys this story before. Um, when uh, when everything happened in Michigan back in 2016. Um, we ended up obviously we were going to a church about an hour away and in February of 2017 brother Andrew called me and a friend of a friend had told him about what had happened with my wife and I and he said um so he called and asked you know we talked for probably an hour that first conversation and uh so then pastor and brother Jim Brown came up to Michigan it's funny ask pastor sometime about uh, about that trip it was the coldest uh, I don't think it got above zero the whole time they were there uh, that's without the wind um but uh Anyway, uh, so, but they came up, they, they, uh, and one he did make fun of, um, he asked specifically uh, if there was a Mexican restaurant around. Um, now I've never, i had never been down here, so I didn't know what the Mexican food was like down here. And so I thought, yeah, there's this place over here. It was a, it wasn't like a chain place. It was. And so we went there. My wife and I had loved, or we'd been there before. And we went there and then we got down here. We, after we'd moved down here for about two or three months, he told me later, he goes, you know what? That restaurant wasn't very good. (laughs) But anyway, all that to say, they came up and visited and, uh, April of that year, we moved down here. Now, here's where uh, you have to be, and I don't say this, I'm not saying this in a boastful way for myself. I'm just trying to help you see in real life how it happens. We came down with the intent of taking the school. That was the goal. Uh, pastor New Brother Ainsworth was leaving, and uh, as a result, he, or, you know, had heard uh, up in Michigan. I had been well everything other than the pastor that you could be in a church, um, but he'd come up, and the goal was for me to come down because uh, I started right there in April first and began to work in the school, and that was the goal. And then the following year, Brother Andrew and I working uh, in the school together, and then eventually taking it. About three weeks after we moved, God started working on my heart. I've always loved education, I love, uh, I've always loved the nitty gritty and all the details with it and everything, but God started to work in my heart and I started, I don't want to say necessarily losing the love for that, but he started pushing my heart toward the teens. And I only told my wife about it. I said, you know, it's just kind of weird. So, something doesn't feel right about it. I said, I just, I don't feel that draw to education in I field drawn this direction. And both of us, we just kind of left it. It wasn't anything going on. But two months later, a uh, uh, pastor called me in. And uh, you get that infamous text, hey, can you come to my office? And you start, even now, you think, as a teenager, you start thinking, all right, what did I do or what didn't I do? And I, I'm 36, and as soon as I get that text from Pastor, I'm thinking, all right, did I not do something? Um, but anyway, so I showed up in his office. We sat there and talked for a while, and he said, hey, I got a question for you. And he, at that point, he told me, you know, Brother Ryan is leaving, and I'm wondering if you want to take the teens. And I, I told him what I just told you, and uh, that God had set that up two and a half months or so beforehand, began working on my heart, preparing it for you. I didn't know where it was going to go from there. Um, but in turn, God's saying, you know what, this is the direction, and being in tune with that. Why? Because I only want one shot at this life. You only got one shot at your life. What are you going to do with it? I mean, it's fine to, you know, you think, humanly speaking, get to the end of, end of your life and think, you know what? Yep, I never got a B in my life. I am an academic genius. That is fantastic. What would you do for God? Because that's what's going to matter. I don't know necessarily that you can biblically prove it. I think you can. Um, but if, if, if we took all, when we get to heaven, if, if all of your works were piled in a giant pile, and an angel walked up with a torch and lit it on fire. Okay, The Bible says the things that were done for Christ will come forth as gold, silver, and precious stones, but the things that were done for the world would come out as wood, hay, and stubble, which as soon as fire hits that, it's going to go up in flames. So if all of your works that you've accomplished even now, whether you're 11 or, I think, uh, 19, however old you are, well, it should come back on, uh, but however old you are, whatever you've done in that time, if you, all that was lit on fire and it burned, except for the gold, metal, or gold, silver, and precious stones, what would be left? Because that's all that you've done to this point that truly matters. And I'm not talk- trying to take away from the accomplishments you have here in life, because we all push and we all work hard, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But only what we do for Christ is what really matters. And we can chase and chase and chase and chase and chase, but we're like a dog chasing its tail. We'll never get that satisfaction, never get that peace. Why? Because we're pursuing that rather than saying, God, whatever you want for me, that's what I desire. And so we only have one shot at this life. So now we're here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Obviously, we know the story is David and Goliath. I'm going to read one verse quickly, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at, uh, don't get me wrong, we're going to look at a few different verses tonight. Um, but uh, I'm going to look at this first, uh, let me get 17 there. All right, here we go. In uh, 1 Samuel 17 uh, in verse 14 is where I'm going to read. The Bible says, And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful once again for each and every one of these teenagers that's here. And Lord, I know they're not perfect, and Lord, they know they're not perfect. But Lord, I just pray that you'd continue to work in their hearts and lives. Make them into the men and women that you'd have them to be. And Lord, some in some cases I feel that they're yielded to you. In other cases, Lord, I think they're on the fence. In some cases, Lord, I think they're holding on to what they want. Uh, for all their worth. And Lord, uh, I I plead with you to do whatever you need to do to get them back to where they're right with you and where they're yielded to you and submitted to you so you can use them in a great way. But be with us now, Lord, as we look at our next uh, episode, if you will, of one, and I'll look at uh, another thought from your word tonight. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we talked last week, like I said, about one shot. Now we come to this verse here. It says, and David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. We know the story. The Bible says that Saul Saul was chosen king. He was head and shoulders above everyone else in the kingdom. Within two years, Saul had messed up once, and a little bit later messes up again. And within probably three or four years of being chosen king, God says, I've rejected. I repented. I re- uh, uh, regret the fact that I ever chose Saul he said, uh, let's go find somebody else, to Samuel. And so the Bible says then he leads Samuel to uh, Jesse's house. And uh, Samuel goes through from the, the oldest uh, oldest brother, if you will, of David, all the way down to the one right above David, and uh, God didn't want any of them. And then he said, do you have any sons left? And uh, Jesse said, well, I have one son, David, but he's out with the sheep. You know, it's an interesting thought here. Um, from David uh, or David does follows whatever his father says to do. You know, David is chosen as king before the story of David and Goliath. Um, we think a lot of times, well, he was, he did this great feat and he did this and this and this, and God chose him. No, no. God anointed him king before David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath ever happened. He anointed David King, the, the verse that talks about everything, uh, says he was cunning and playing, and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, a comely person, and the Lord is with him. All that happens before David and Goliath ever happened. You know, in some cases, we're thinking, well, you know what? This, then I'm sold out for God, or then this, then I'm sold out for God, but it's, what are you doing now for God? What are you doing at this moment? If, if, who, well, let me ask you this. Who is in this room because of you. Well, I'm a teenager. Okay. And I told you before, no one reaches teenagers like teenagers. Who's in this room right now because you invited them? You know, we have uh, your mission field, if you will. You have your neighborhood, your school. Whether you go to Lighthouse, you don't go to Lighthouse. There are we, a bunch of you have come to our youth group because of Lighthouse Baptist Academy. Well, let me ask you this. Is that everyone in our school? Is that everyone in Lighthouse? Or are there people who don't go to church that could be invited? Once again, it's just reaching out to them. What are you doing now? Because you, well, you don't know if you'll have down the road. And that's why we started last week with the fact that we only have one shot at this. But the Bible says David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. So then he comes out. The Bible says he comes out to... Um, deliver some stuff that his father told him he wanted delivered to his brothers. His brothers were fighting alongside Saul. Well, they were standing alongside Saul. They weren't really doing any fighting at that point. Uh, but they were there uh, when the Goliath was coming out. And uh, the Bible says that Goliath would come out and he would taunt the Israelites. And uh, every, the Israelites were scared. Nobody would go out there. And basically, Goliath was saying, send out your champion to me. Let, don't make everybody else die right or, or in a battle. Just come out send your best man out to fight me. Now, I was looking. Um, I was... Uh, a, I think it was maybe have been uh, an ad or something came across how many know the name Hafthor Bjornsson? Wow okay Hafthor Bjorn- Bjornsson is known in his field as the mountain okay he is a I think he's Swedish he's either Swedish or Norwegian or maybe Icelandic but he is um, at his cur- where he's currently at he's six foot nine 451 pounds and he is solid. Like, it's not like, you know, you think of somebody who's like six foot tall and 400 pounds. That's a totally different story. Okay, this guy's huge. But then I started thinking as I was uh, saw that ad, I thought, I wonder. And I went back and looked through some different books that I had on uh, Bible history. And this is what they estimate for Goliath. You know, the story Bible says Goliath, Goliath's spear was the size of a weaver's beam. And they estimate that Goliath was obviously nine foot nine, but then they estimate he weighed about, about 760 pounds, okay? Combined with his armor, which was about 150 pounds, so you're looking at almost a half ton of man against David, okay? A lot of times you'll have preachers, and they'll bring, all right, well, they'll bring up the biggest teenager and the smallest teenager. <laughs> I don't think it was even close to that. Like David could have stood on David's own shoulders and still been shorter than Goliath and significantly less heavy And that's what here, the Bible says David heard this man talking. I mean, as a human being, I don't blame him for being scared. I'll be honest with you, I don't. But that's what we're going to look at tonight, The the how David's mindset was different than everybody else's. And so we know the story. The Bible says David uh, goes out, asks or says or asks what's going to happen if uh, he's defeated. Saul tells him. And as a result, David uh, gets ready to go. Saul gives him his armor. David says, you know what? I've not proven this. He said, let me go fight the way I know how. And the Bible says he took the sling and he took the five stones and he went out. And obviously, as Goliath was running toward him, hit him in the forehead with a sling. And as a result, the Bible says a stone sunk in, Goliath fell over and david went and cut off his head held up the head the bible's really a bloody book when you think about it you know you think is you know because you see kids stories like storybooks and david's got you know usually like a baby face it kind of goes out there uh, but da- i mean he cut the guy's head off and was standing there yeah! blood probably dripping big old nasty beard and that's what he's holding up um all all that to say david got the victory now here's what i want you to look at look in first samuel chapter 17 i think it's my first verse up here Why is my thing frozen here? All right, it'll come up. Well, I have my verses down here, so that, that should free, unfreeze here in a second. But um, look at uh, 1 Samuel 17, verse 8. Okay, and I want you to see this, okay? Like I said, do you think David and Goliath, I've heard that story a million times. I didn't belabor the story on purpose because I know it's a story that you've heard multiple times. Okay? But here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8, the Bible says, And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel. talking about Goliath now. Um... And said unto them, why are ye come out to set your battle in array am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul choose you a man for you and let him come down to me and I want you to see once again I want you to see what I give you obviously we had one shot last week I have another one this week but I'm not going to give it right now it might slip out but I'll tell you in a minute here what I'm what we're going to emphasize but here we see the children of Israel. The Bible says they were servants to Saul, and they. The Bible says that they were they were afraid. For lack of a better way to put it, Goliath says, "You know what? Uh, you, you send out your champion to fight me. Choose one man, and then if I beat him, you are all our servants. If he beats me, will be your servants." Which is easy for him to say because if he got beat, he was dead, and it didn't really matter at that point. But I want you to compare uh, three different passages here, and then we'll jump into it. So we see there he says, servants to Saul. Look at First Samuel seventeen forty-five. This is David now. The Bible says, then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Now, in the first verse, you're servants to Saul. David says, I don't serve Saul, I serve God. In other words, there was a boldness that came from the fact that he—I serve God. I'm not serving. If, if though Saul was Saul was a a the head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the strongest, if you will. He was not um, not enough to defeat Goliath. And David knew that. And David said, "Look, I don't. I, I'm not serving Saul. I'm serving God. And by that same God, I'm going to defeat you." Look at chapter 17. We're going to flip back and forth here. If you don't have, uh, if it's on the same page, it actually helps. But uh, chapter 17, verse 11. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, He came out once again, or in verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel. And I defied God. And you think, how would somebody possibly get away with doing that? And obviously, God knows what he's doing. And he allowed that to happen, and he was going to prove himself. But the Bible says, and when Saul and all Israel heard those words. Look at chapter 17, verse 23. this one's pretty cool to me. He said, and as he talked with them, behold, this is David talking with his brothers. He's talking to his brothers and says, while he was doing that, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. The same exact words. He said those those words over here, and the Bible says that the Israelites cowered in fear. It says they were uh, uh, dismayed and greatly afraid by those words. But now in verse 23, it says he spake according to those same words, but this time, David heard them. In other words, in our and you're, we're going to see, obviously, we know how the story turns out. Heard, They reacted one way, and the, ver, the same way they heard it, they reacted another way. It reminds me of the story with the children of Israel when they send the spies into the promised land. God sent them into the promised land to see what land he was going to give to them. He didn't send them in to, quote, spy it out and see the enemy. No, he sent them in, I want you to see all the great things I'm going to give to you. When they came out, two of them said, you know what? Those grapes are awesome. And it's uh Prosperity everywhere. You know the ten, the other ten spies never denied that. They said, you know what? You're right. But the Anakim, or the sons of the Anakim live there. They're giants. And, our, and their sight were grasshoppers. The difference in what one person saw, or two people in that case, and what the ten others saw. And in this case, the entire Israelite army heard what Goliath had to say and were terrified. David heard the same words and thought, "You know what? This isn't gonna. This isn't gonna stand." Look in verse, last one here, verse, uh, verse 24, chapter 17, verse 24 It says, "And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Once again, when they saw Goliath, they were sore afraid and ran. But verse 48." David ran as well, but look what David did. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Once again, we see the mindset of the the Israelite army, servants to Saul, and uh, not having the boldness that only God can give, and seeing things in one way and hearing things in one way, and David seeing and hearing it in a completely opposite way. We said last week, one shot. This week... One teenager, just one, David. David got the victory for the entire Israelite army. Nobody stood with him. They were all ready to cheer behind him, but it took David standing up by himself. And that's why we sang that song, though none go with me. You may have to stand by yourself. And it's sad in a church youth group that you'd have to do that, but sometimes you may have to. But it only took One teenager. In chapter sixteen, verse eleven, you don't have to flip. I mean, if you want to flip back and forth, fine. I don't know why my, I mean, I guess we're just gonna stick with that up there because my computer's frozen for whatever reason. Um, but it's the first time we see David, and the Bible. This is the that um, the all of Jesse's sons had come before Samuel, and Samuel looked. Nope. Nope, nope. The description actually he gives for the, fir- or for, the, for the first two for sure, and I imagine probably the other ones. You know what? Eliab, the oldest, you know what? He's, he, he's a strong-looking man. He would be a great king. Now remember, that's why they chose Saul. That didn't work out so well. But we find Eliab here, oh, yeah, he'd be a great king. And God said, no, that's not who I want. The next one comes up, well, this and this. No, 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 that's not who I want either. And he continued, continued, continued. And finally he says, look, in verse 11, Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? Look how his own dad describes him. It says, and he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. Well, there's the youngest out there. If you think of taking away the word behold and replacing it with but, the the youngest is out there, but he's just keeping the sheep. He's not really a, a producing member of the family, if you will. Later, chapter 17, verse 33. And Saul said to David, Okay, Saul's come here, come, uh, or I'm sorry, David's come to give the bread, or the cheese and uh, bread and stuff to his brothers, and the Bible says, and Saul said, said to David, thou art not able to go against his Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Describes him literally, if I can say it this way, you're nothing more than a teenager. You know, if you look through the Bible, and obviously we're going to get further into it, but if you look through the Bible, a lot of the times God used a teenager, and if, I don't mean this in the wrong way, okay? But I think sometimes it's because teenagers are too stupid to think logically through it. See, as an adult, God says, here's the step of faith I want you to take. Well, but, I, but what about this and what about that? Teenagers, and once again, I, I mean this in a good way. I'm not saying it in a bad way. But teenagers, you know what? That's what God said. I'm going to do it. Just like David. It is enormous. But David's quote, childlike faith. You know what? It doesn't matter. I don't care that he's nine foot nine, that he's seven hundred and sixty pounds. He's a giant of a man. It doesn't matter to me. God already gave me victory over a lion and over a bear. I'm going to step out and do something. And sometimes that's what it takes. Like the song said, "Though none go with me." It doesn't matter what everybody else does. Joshua said, "You know what? It doesn't matter that this happens and that happens. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You can choose. You choose whoever you want to serve. This is what we're going to do. And so he's described first of all by his own father as, quote, but a youth, though he describes him as the youngest, and he just does he just does little things around the house. He's not really a help. Then we see here Saul, his leadership, saying, You know what? He's just a teenager. Then look at chapter 17, verse 42. And when the Philistine, Saul, or Saul, the Philistine, Goliath, looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. And ruddy and of a fair countenance. Now the enemy says, you know what? You're just a teenager. I've been since I was your age. You got a good start. In life. I hesitate to say things because then we sometimes we go through life and we think, well, you know what? But you think this and you think that. But in life, and obviously you, we we do submit to authority and all that. I'm not saying we don't, but sometimes you have to step out on your own faith. That's why I've challenged you guys before. Find a prayer request that only you and God know about. Don't tell mom and dad. Don't tell your friends. Don't tell anybody. Just keep it between you and God. Because when you see God come through and answer that prayer, it builds your faith immensely. I've told you the story before, and I, I, I don't remember how long ago, so some of you probably heard it. Some of you haven't. When my wife and I were first married, we lived in Toledo for a year Right after we got married, and uh, one of the—I think we had—we had moved into our apartment. Literally, we got married. I bought a. Let's show my age. You ready for this? I bought a 2003 Chevy Malibu, and here's the thing: it was only three years old. (laughs) That shows the age, my age. Anyway, but I bought. Before I got married, drove down to North Carolina, got married, and then we came back. Okay? So we'd lived in this apartment literally like a week, getting ready to go out and go grocery shopping. And we're pulling out. And the area where we lived, uh, there was it was a main road coming out of our parking lot. And there were two lanes, a turn lane, and two more lanes. And so I needed to go that direction so I need to be in the turn lane for these to have a driving driver's license. That's the turn lane, okay? And so my plan I was going to swing out like this and jump into the turn lane and turn left. Now traffic was backed up. It was at a busy time of the day, so traffic was backed up and these two lanes stopped. For me, you know, they stop and wave you out, and hey, and then the person doesn't wave back, and then you get angry and you want to run over with their car. Uh, but anyway, they they stopped, and so I start pulling out, looking, nothing's coming, and all of a sudden I pull out, and a car came flying up that turn lane, and we cracked. They cracked the front corner of my car, my brand new, well, at that point, brand new to me, 2003 Chevy Malibu. So I obviously, you know, back my car back into the parking lot that we just left. He pulls into the parking lot and he gets out of the car. Man's name was Adib Samidi, okay, and uh, so he was very difficult to t- understand as he was talking to me. I'll just go be be honest with you. So we're standing, we're talking, are uh, talking back and forth, and all that kind of stuff. And um, the um, policeman shows up. A policeman shows up, and you know he's going through all the stories and all that kind of stuff. I end up with a ticket out of it, okay, um, and whether I think it was right or not. I don't think it was right, but this isn't a chance my chance to vent about policemen or about uh, my traffic ticket at this point um, but anyway, so I, I I get the traffic ticket, which means i'm responsible for both my car and his car um, and so in turn uh my uh, call and obviously being newly married i didn't have full coverage on my car. I had enough to cover my car. So now I have to cover his car as well. And so about oh about three or four weeks later, I got a uh bill in the mail for a deep car. It was like thirty, I think thirty seven hundred dollars. And so obviously newly married, I can't even afford full insurance on my own car, let alone pay thirty seven hundred dollars for this dude's car. And so I you know, and I uh battled back and forth with it. I didn't pay I'll just tell you the story. There was a lawyer, a friend of my dad's who was a lawyer in the church I grew up in. And I went to him and I told him the story. Here's what happened and all that. He said, "He said to be Ben, to be honest with you, he said, I would go to court and fight that. He said, I would not just pay it. I would go to court and fight it. I said, okay. I was at work the next day and, um, the, uh, Oh, I got a phone call from his insurance. Sorry, I had to space out there for a second. Uh, but I got a call from his, or the insurance company saying, hey, you know what? This bill is due. And I said, well, uh, right now, I said, I can't really pay it. Okay, well, you have X amount of time, whatever, and they hung up. And in the meantime, my wife and I, literally both of us going to God and say, God, look, you know what? We don't have this. There's no way we can pay this. You know, we're, we're, we just got married. We're looking to go out and serve you and this kind of stuff. It's just a setback. In turn, continuing praying, all that kind of stuff. One night, my wife and I were out doing something and I got a phone call from um, Deeb's insurance company. And she says, well, you know what? I know you don't want to pay the full amount. How about this? Okay. It's $3,700. So for the next three years, you can pay us $200 a month. And I said, well, to be honest with you, I said that sounds it makes it easier. I said, but I said I talked to a lawyer friend of mine, and he said it would be better if I just fought it in court. He said, I said he believes I'll win. She said, okay, well, let me check something. And I could hear her clack, clicking away on the on the keyboard. And she said, well, Mr. Morrissey, you're going to love me. I said, why? Because obviously you don't think negative. But she said, well, apparently the car that you got into the accident with, the one that Mr. Samiti was driving, wasn't the one that was insured by us. So you don't owe us a dime. You think? That was God saying, you know what, here's an opportunity for you to learn. And that's what we, a lot of times in your own life, there are things that come about. God allows difficulties and trials because he's trying to grow you and he's trying to teach you. Don't fight those things. Allow God to grow you. Well, I'm just a teenager. So, look at Joseph was sold into slavery as a teenager. Ain't none of you been sold into slavery as a teenager. Now, your siblings may want to sell you into slavery. That's a different story altogether. Okay? Okay, Daniel, Daniel and his three friends shipped off to Babylon as teenagers. In other words, just because you're a teenager doesn't mean you're immune from problems. What it does mean is it gives you an opportunity to learn. And if I can get you at this point to learn lessons that I had to learn as an adult, you're that much further ahead. And we see here, the Bible says with with David, it's described by his family, his leadership, and his enemies as you're just a teenager. What could you possibly do? You know, it's an amazing thing. Well, one more verse, actually, before I get into that. Chapter 17, verse 55, okay? Saul and his men stand back, and they watch. And they see David go running out there, and you can imagine him almost cynically thinking, that kid's going to get killed. <laughs> what an idiot. I do that sometimes myself when I see the teenager, and I think, what in the world are you doing? Like when Keith broke his fingers in his pocket. What are you doing? Like, how do you break your fingers in your pocket? Um. But I do that myself sometimes. But you can almost imagine Saul standing back there going, What are you, why are you running? What? And then seeing the stone hit and going, Oh, and then seeing him fall, then seeing him cut off his head and hold the head up, Yeah, and jumping in and running out there and killing the Philistines. But this is what Saul says at the end in verse 55. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistines, he said unto Abner, the king of the or captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? Still. You're just a teenager. Now, we could make the argument here. He's just talking that he was young. But in comparison to what we're talking about here, it's just once again, that's a teenager. So like I'm saying with, with here with this theme, it only takes one teenager. And the story there in verse 52 was when he made our, the victory. The Bible says, David ran, stood upon the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of the sheath, slew him, cut off his head therewith. And when they saw their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. It took one person to stand up and say, you know what? We're going to get the victory here. I heard what he had to say. You heard what he had to say. You didn't do anything about it. You saw him. You've done nothing about it. I'm going to go do something about it. And it took one teenager doing what he felt God wanted him to do. And as a result, God gave the victory. So it takes one teenager. And First Timothy 4.12, this is really the crux of the message. That's all kind of setting it up for it. I've always heard preachers say, well, you know what? That's all introduction. And it always makes you nervous. Don't worry. I have to be done by eight, pastor said. So don't worry. Um, but First Timothy 4.12 4, The Bible says, this is Paul writing to Timothy now, and probably part of the verse that I know you've heard, let no man despise thy youth. We just saw four different instances in David's life where he's just the youngest, and he's just there to take care of the sheep, and he's but a youth, and he's but a youth, and the the giant's been a a man of war from his youth, and I know he got the victory, but he's still just a teenager. But Paul tells Timothy here, let no man despise thy youth. Now, that doesn't mean you stand up, I'm a teenager, respect me. No, 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 he gives some instructions here. I'm going to spend a lot of time on all of them. But he says, let no men despise thy youth. But how do you keep people from being despised, or how do you keep yourself from being despised or looked down on as a teenager? Well, one, be an example of the believers in word and in conversation. What do you talk about? That's why every time, uh, every time I pray for food, whether it's here or it's uh, before or in chapel before lunch, Praying about the fact that may our conversation bring honor and glory to you. What do you talk about when you're with just your friends? Is it something that would be honoring and glorying to God? Because according to this, one of the reasons that a teenager would be despised is because their conversation is not pleasing to God. What do you talk about? The second thing he continues on, he said, in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, all those we can technically lump into the fruit of the Spirit. Or parts of the fruit of the spirit, if you will. You know the Bible says in Galatians that when you, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I choose to walk with God the way that I'm supposed to, I will. the The fruit of the spirit will naturally produce itself through me. Uh, I've got my uh, my lemon tree produced very, very well this year. Uh, it's not very big. Uh, it's actually a, it may be my smallest. Uh, my smallest of the five trees I planted, however long I actually planted six, and Maleficent tore apart my Satsuma tree, uh, which I'm still bitter about. Uh, but I have five trees in, in my yard now, with different fruit on them. And uh, my lemon tree—it's only about this tall, and it's very—it's uh, not very full, but it produced I think 22, le- two, 22 good-sized lemons this year. To the point that I had to stake it up because it was bent over so bad. And those lemons—I I didn't have to go force lemons to be produced on that tree. I didn't plant a lemon tree and go out the next day and find a grapefruit on it. Why? Because a lemon tree can only produce lemons. And I'll watch. If I walk with God the way that I'm supposed to, the fruit of the Spirit produces itself through me. I got to be more patient. I got to have more self control. I got to love people more. You cannot do it. Otherwise, it would be called the fruit of Mackenzie or the fruit of Ashton. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, I walk with God the way that I'm supposed to, and God helps me to love the unlovely, or to uh, be more patient, or to have more self-control. I was uh, talking with somebody earlier because they mentioned uh, fruits of the Spirit. And that's just something that personally irritates me. Uh, but it's one giant fruit of the Spirit, and each piece is a part. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those are all different pieces. They're all produced when I walk with God the way that I'm supposed to. You think, well, well, I got all these others in order. I struggle with that area though. Probably one area we would all struggle with in one way or another is the self-control aspect, which personally I think would be more spirit controlled, but allowing God to control you, what you do. As the preacher said this morning in chapel, 168 hours in a week, Okay. What would the tithe on 168 hours be? 16.8. Now, I don't know that necessarily we could say this, but let me ask you this. If God asked for a tithe of your time, he asks for a tithe on your money, you make $500, your tithe is $50. He gives you 168 hours in a week. What if he asked for 16.8 hours? Is that what he'd get from you? I, I love how pointed he got. When's the last time you walked with God? I don't like when preachers get up in invitations and re-preach the message that the other preacher just preached, but I wanted to when he got to one point, and I started thinking about the fact that uh, with, when walking with God, we look at it, if it's not something you do on a regular basis, you look at it as a drudgery. Oh, i got to read my Bible again. Uh, but let me ask you this, He and he emphasized this, the almighty God, the one who created you, formed you, according to what the Bible says, formed you in your mother's womb, made you exactly how he wanted you to be. When Jesus died on that cross, he, or everything that he went through, or God turned his son on his own back into thy hands, I commit my spirit, and he dies. The very next thing that happens, that veil in the temple was torn in two. Not just a curtain, though if it was a curtain, that's impressive. I don't think anybody in here could tear a curtain in two pieces without having it cut initially. But this curtain was four inches thick. And it was about 16 feet high. No human being tore it in half. It was God. What, what did that veil separate? That veil separated one area, the holy place, if you will, where people could come from the holiest of holies, where the. And that veil basically any to come in here and spend time with me. When's the last time you did? Or if I can just be honest, is academics more important than God to you? Or music? Or athletics? You see, it boils down to what you desire. I've told you guys before, you will be as close to God as you desire to be. Well, but this came up. Then you don't want to be close to God. Well, but I was tired and I slept in. Then you don't want to be. It's a choice you make. Everyone in here, how many of you in here have a phone? Okay. Every person in here, your phone has an alarm clock. Guess what? When you set that alarm clock and you turn it on, it goes off in the morning. And rather than leaning over and pushing, I, I'll tell on myself here, I don't ever push snooze. You know why? Because it's going to go off again in nine minutes. So I just put stop and just end it. Now, I make myself get up at that point, or my wife just kicks me. I'm just kidding. Um, but but listen, when set that alarm. Shh. You don't have a phone? Okay. Then ask your mom and dad for an alarm clock. Don't tell them, Brother Morrissey said I need a phone, because I'm not saying that. But ask him for an alarm clock, something you can set and it will go off in the morning to help you get up and get up and read read God's word. Sit down and spend time with him. Why? Because he wants to spend time with you. I like the example he used with whatever person you can think of. Whether you like art and it be some famous artist from history, or or maybe a musician, or maybe some great mind, some scientist mind from the past, or an athlete, whatever the case may be, if you had the choice or you had the opportunity for a year straight, every morning to spend an hour with them, 365 hours for the year, you would be there early every time. Why? Because you desire to hear what they have to say. Why don't you do the same thing with God? because he wants to spend time with you and he's far stronger far better than any of those other people. And like I said it's a choice. It's a choice do I want to spend time with God or not? Because you're not going to be the teenager God wants you to be or be that one teenager until you choose to do that. The last verse and I got to be done because I've only got 4 minutes. But back in second Sam- or uh, sorry in first Samuel we find uh, continuing that story in chapter 17 verse 29. First Samuel chapter 20 or 17 verse 29 if I can never find it there it is um, the bible says um day De- or uh, Eliab, david's oldest brother uh, David, remember brought that cheese and the other food to him and all that and Eliab begins to mock him and say know, you just came out here to watch the battle dad told you to leave the food just go home you just want to watch the battle you're if i can say it, you're you're the, you're a bad child you're the, you're the bad son because you're not doing what dad told you to do David makes a statement here. He says, and David says, or David said, what have I now done? What are you talking about? What did I do? Then he makes a statement. Is there not a cause? In other words, look, you hear what he's saying, and you're not doing anything about it. Somebody's got to step up and do it. Somebody's got to step up and take care of the situation. It reminds me of a story I heard one time, and I don't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to tell it like it is. Um. But there was a a Marine who had gotten out of the military and was in college, and uh, he was sitting in some some classroom, and uh, and the teacher got up. It was a a psychology-type class, and the teacher got up, and uh, he said, uh, right off the bat, he was explaining, you know what, God's dead and God doesn't exist and all that. And he said, well, you know what, if God existed, let him knock me away from this pulpit right now. And he just stood there and waited and waited and waited, until finally that Marine got up, walked up, punched him, and knocked him out and said, well, you know what, God must have been busy, so I thought I'd take care of it for him. It takes one teenager to stand up and, you know what, I'm going to do something. I'm going to lead. And I didn't go that direction with it tonight, but these girls want to be led. Now, to your credit, some of you have stepped up, and I've noticed that, and I'm, pers- I'm giving you credit for it, that you've stepped up more. But take it a step further. Are you going to lead or not? Are you going to be the leader God wants you to be? Are you going to be that one teenager that stands up? Because somebody has to. Otherwise, to be honest with you, we're wasting our time. We said last week, one shot. You got one shot at this life. Here we see David, one teenager. One teenager stepped up and did something. As a result, children of Israel got the victory. Children of Israel jumped in behind him. Why? Because he stood up and he he did what God wanted him to do. One teenager made that much of a difference.